Open up your Bibles, please, to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. And we will be reading verses 18 through 24. I um, printed off a couple of uh, illustrations, one of a Roman prison, and also a picture there, an illustration representing Paul and Silas being shackled at the feet in a Roman prison. And I wanted to make sure all the children in the church had one of those, specifically the children. And uh, I want you kids to get a Bible. If you don't have one, you can get a pew Bible. And we're on page 565 today in Ephesians chapter 6. And we're going to read verses 18 through 24. Ephesians 6, 18 through 24. Hear the word of the Lord. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. And for me, that utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in bonds, that therein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak, but that ye also may know my affairs and how I do. Tychicus, a beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, shall make known to you all things, whom I have sent unto you for the same purpose, that ye might know our affairs and that he might comfort your hearts. Peace be to the brethren. And love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all them that love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. Amen. The title of my message today is Paul, a Soldier's Example. We have for several weeks now been considering Paul's teachings on spiritual warfare on the armor of God that equips us as His people for that warfare. And praying over this final greeting from the Apostle Paul, um, I really saw in it that Paul took very importantly, or you could say I didn't really see in this, but what I saw was a reminder of how important Paul took setting an example for other Christians to be. For example, he does this in Titus 2.2. Uh, putting forth the importance of a Christian example for one another. He told the aged men, he said, be sober, be grave, temperate, sound in faith and charity and patience. And then he, you remember he admonished the aged women to also be a good example. Uh, aged women likewise, that they be in behavior as becometh holy, holiness, not false accusers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things. And listen to what he tells the young uh, minister, Timothy. In Timothy 1, 4, 12, Be thou an example of the believers in word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, and in purity. Now, I'm not, to be clear, implying here that Paul in his final greeting says, oh, now now, I, I have to set a good example for the brethren here and try to convey a good soldierly example for them in my closing Uh, statements. No, as he was inspired by the Holy Spirit, he is simply overflowing with a man who has been 
uh, captivated by the truth of God's love for him in the person of Christ as he has expounded for us the truth of the mystery of Christ, how Christ has unified all of those of faith, both Jew and Gentile, into one. And now in his closing statements, he does it without even realizing he's doing it. He sets an example for us who have been given the same armor that he's been given, who now will go forward in spiritual battle. And that's why I've chosen the title of my message today, A Soldier's Example. He gives us, first of all, an example of a soldier's prayer life. Look with me at verse 18. You who have received all of this spiritual armor, you who I have convinced will indeed be engaged against the wiles of the devil, your flesh and the world. He says, pray always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for the saints. I want us to consider the soldier's prayer in four ways. Notice first of all, of its frequency and its inclusivity. He says, the soldier should be praying always with all prayer and supplication. Here, Paul, command, uh, his commands reflects something of his own practice as a soldier. Uh, to pray always and with all supplication. This is what he did. We recall how in Ephesians 1.16 he told the church, I cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. Paul in his own life, he set forth an example of how much he needed to constantly be in prayer. Because why? He was always under some kind of spiritual affliction. He was always in some kind of spiritual battle. He told the church in Thessalonica, pray without ceasing, 1 Thessalonians 5.17. But now, with that handout I gave you, with the context that immediately preceded this, knowing that we are always going to be in some sort of spiritual warfare, Paul himself writing this from a Roman prison, listen how he connects tribulation, trials, with the necessity of frequent prayer. Romans 12, 12, he said, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation. Continue instant in prayer. Here you have a soldier of Christ in a Roman prison. You see the picture what the Roman prison was like. It was a place, Levi, where your daddy, he works in the utility uh, municipal uh, aspect of the city of Liberty. He has to keep all the plumbing working. That not only includes the drinking water, that includes the sewer lines too. Right, Brother Cox? Okay. And so when someone flushes the toilet, Brother Cox's job is to make sure with all the other boys in the City of Liberty that that sewage goes to the proper destination and doesn't get out and contaminate other areas. Do you know where the sewage went to many times in Rome? It was let out into the prisons, into these cisterns that they carved out underneath different buildings and they threw people in prison. So you can imagine just these very horrible conditions. And Paul's telling us by way of example he's saying as i cease as i pray without ceasing as i'm fervent in frequency of prayer so you make sure you are because prayer is almost as if it's a conjoined twin with biblical uh, uh, patience in times of trial uh, i looked this up because i was thinking is a conjoined twin 
Like, what is that? I thought it was the one where they share the same organs. One can't live without the other. What Paul's teaching in Romans 12, 12, and the example he's setting forth with his own prayer life, one who's always in spiritual battle, is that you and I as Christians, in the moment of afflictions, even though we've been delivered from the evil of them, even though we have Romans 8, 28, back to the first message in our back pocket, brother, if we're not praying, we're going to forget the Bible verse in our back pocket, aren't we? And we're going to succumb to the evil of the affliction. And so now we see while this frequency of prayer is a conjoined twin to biblical patience, being able to endure things that are brought upon us um, by others. Listen to the word, the Greek word, but it carries with it the word patience. To endure, bear bravely and calmly under ill treatment. Now you see why Paul saying. The soldier, his part of his prayer is frequently praying and bringing all supplications unto the Lord. It demonstrates the need that I can't do this in my own avenue, my own strength. Uh, it, it, it denotes the fact that, you know what, uh, there is going to be times where I don't have all the answers. There is going to be times where I'm not trusting fully in his promises. There's going to be times when I'm not fully comprehending the truth of what He's doing in a particular situation. And it's only in this time when we're personally talking to Him. The Puritans were fond of saying that God can pick clarity out of confused prayer. Forget this idea that frequent praying means it's got to be this well-articulated, theologically correct prayer. No, it is simply a child of God talking with His his or her Heavenly Father about the current situation in their life. He shows us next with regards to a soldier's prayer life is not only is it to be frequent and able to be endured during tribulation, but notice that it has to have a focus upon submission to God's will. This is what he means when he says to pray in the Spirit. Praying in the Spirit is not a particular gift that one must seek or work to acquire in order to become a useful spiritual warrior. Paul's not teaching that. But rather, it's a demonstration of one's willingness to be submitted to the will of God. Praying in the Spirit. The Spirit of God, I'm praying that He will show me, He will make me sensible to whatever it is He's doing in the midst of my life. And I'm I'm submitted to whatever that plan is. Praying in the Spirit is a heart posture, Paul is trying to describe here in a Christian soldier's life that reflects the instructions of Jesus when Jesus taught His disciples how to pray or model their prayers in Matthew. We say it every morning, don't we? Thy kingdom come. You hear that focus on submission. I'm praying in the Spirit in the sense that I am focused on submission to God's will and not my own. I'm frequently praying, Lord, don't remove this, don't remove that, don't remove this. No, Lord, I'm just praying that if it be Thy will, In the Spirit, I'm coming to you and I'm totally submitted to you in whatever your plan is. Jesus taught the model prayer when He said, Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Often, our prayer is our spirit rather, not our prayer. Oftentimes, we know Scripture teaches us that our spirit is willing, however, our flesh is weak, right? And thus, it is the God, the Spirit, in one accord with God the Son as our higher priest that intercedes for us knowing the weakness of our flesh to pray the things that sometimes we can't even articulate in prayer. This comes out in Romans 8, 26 and 27. The Bible says, The Spirit also helps our infirmities. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought, 
But that spirit itself makes intercession for us with groanings such that cannot be uttered. This is a great comfort that when we are coming frequently in prayer and we are praying openly being focused on the submission of God's will, that there is times because of the weakness of our flesh, that the weakness of the infirmities of our flesh, that the spirit himself utters the words to the throne of grace upon which Christ sets and Christ, the scripture teaches us, is the intercessor between us and the Father. Beloved, praying in the Spirit is not some mystical um, uh, 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 practice that you have to achieve. Uh, oh, what was the one practice that uh, con- con- contemplative prayer that's very popular uh, amongst the CMA right now? It's been for a long time. It was propagated largely by Tozer and those who followed him. Uh, it's not that you get in a right posture, uh, you get in the right guarding setting where the birds are chirping and the, you know what I'm saying, the butter, and you can smell the, 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 the bushes, the flowers and all that. No, no, no. Praying in the Spirit is doing what Paul's doing in prison. Coming down to a point where you are willing to accept the will of God, whatever that will may be. Pray in the Spirit. Be open to be taught by the will of God. But not only are we to pray frequently, Not only are we supposed to be in the Spirit focused upon the will of God instead of ourselves. Notice that we see next, he says, and watching thereunto with all perseverance. This is the third aspect to a Christian soldier's prayer life. To be watchful and to be persistent. The needy and the dependent Christian soldier protected by the blood-purchased righteousness of Christ in verse 14, that breastplate, now is instructed to watch for God's response. The prayer life known of a Christian soldier is one who is frequently before his face before God in his daily struggles and battles. He's frequently open to the will of God in his life. But then as he prays and he asks God to show him his will for his life in the midst of any affliction, guess what? He's watching. He's paying attention to the things in his life. He's paying attention to the circumstances to see what it is God's teaching him. Be watching thereunto with all perseverance. Now this Greek word watching, it's used only three other times in the New Testament. Every single time, beloved, it carries with it the idea of being on alert. Being on alert. Listen how it's used in Mark 13.33. Take heed, watch, and pray, for ye know not when the time is. There's a sense of immediate expectation. And often we lose, do we not, brethren, this alertness, this expecting posture when our answers to our prayers, they don't come in the time that we expect them they ought to come. But rather, they're delayed for a season. And time, they're delayed for a season of time that we can't control. We lose that sense of watchfulness, don't we, AJ? We lose that sense of alertness and expectation that God's going to reveal His will for me in this situation. He's going to answer a prayer, perhaps. One old Puritan once said with regards to the season of delayed prayer, he said, a child of God is to put forth his faith in prayer and afterwards follow his prayer with faith. So we come to God in faith to pray. This is part of believing that He can do things we can't do for ourselves. But after we lay that prayer before His throne, this old Puritan preacher saying then, wait and follow the prayer with expectation and watchfulness, knowing with faith, right, 
that God will do what is best and knowing that he will answer in his own time. Following in faith is why Paul also says with all perseverance, all perseverance. The Greek word translated perseverance here is only used one time in the entire New Testament. This is the only place you see it. However, the receiving language of the Greek, English, and why the English translators translated perseverance, the reason they did it is when you see the word perseverance in the English, it helps you to see what Paul's, Paul's building upon with this expedient um, expectation followed up with patient faith. Okay? Listen to the 1828 Webster Dictionary definition of per- perseverance. It is persistency in anything undertaken, continued pursuit or prosecution of any business or enterprise that you have started. So you see what Paul's saying there? He's saying you come with faith and you lay it before the throne of God and you wait expectantly that that God's going to do it. But guess what? You follow that expectation persistently. If it doesn't happen in a week, that don't, Brother Mark, mean we don't expect it to happen. If it doesn't happen in a month or a year, that doesn't mean that we don't have that same belief and faith, AJ, with the expectancy that God steals on the throne. He hears the prayer and He will do it according to His most sound, uh, holy, wise will. All right? So be persistent. Be faithful. Who in here today has prayed a prayer that something in their life would be removed and it's been a long time and it has been removed and you've grown in a spirit of apathy. Oh, Christian soldier, Paul is giving you an example today as he did. God, may your will be done and thine alone. You follow it. It's going to give you such liberation of understanding that he will do what's best in my life. An important part of that steady an important part of that faithful, persistent, continuing on in the Christian soldier's life and his prayer life is remembering to offer supplications for all the saints. Look at verse 18 with me. He says, pray always with all prayer and supplication, frequency and inclusivity. There's nothing that we don't need the help of God for. There's nothing that we can rely on our own strength for. In the Spirit, open to His will, whatever that may be, watching with expectancy and with persistency and supplications for all the saints. What's the fourth thing that Paul exemplifies here in a Christian soldier's life, in his prayer life? Remember the brethren. Remember the brethren. Paul's example in this regard is, I believe, one of the sweetest witnesses of Christ's transformative power and taking a heart of stone and making it a softened heart of clay, loving the brethren, not concerned just about ourselves, praying and lifting their needs up, praying for them. Paul, or you could say rather, saw the persecutor of Christ's sheep of whom Ananias, you remember, was afraid to even want to come into his midst as Saul of Tarsus on his road to Damascus, now is the man who all he cared for is the welfare of the people of Christ. What a sweet reminder of what Jesus does in the heart of self-centered individuals. I don't know about you, but upon immediate upon conversion, one of the first things that happened to me is that my life, I soon realized, didn't revolve around just myself. All of a sudden, Levi, I cared about this brother. I cared about that sister. How can I help you? How can I help you? You see, it was like a, a sense of caring for the brethren. 
I heard, well, I'll call him a theologian, a, a, a man who knows a lot more than me, uh, you know, and he was talking about his recent discovery in Psalms 2 now that he quote unquote is taking it seriously and how that you know this in Psalms 2 it talks about Yahweh giving the king a sword and he'll rule in the in the in the midst of his enemies and as he's talking about his end times view he was like you know this is denoting real power in the midst of God's enemies and 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 so my end time view of understanding how Christ could be in heaven ruling and reigning but yet his enemies are ruling here on earth that just debunked this one particular end time view and so i know that this one now has to be right and the whole time i'm thinking to myself brother <laughs> do you not understand how when Christ takes a hardened sinner who was in the midst of the enemies of his, he converts him into this sweet, compassionate man who loves Christ, loves his church, is willing to sacrifice his life for the brethren? I said he is ruling in the midst of his enemies. He's taken a child of darkness and made him a son of light, made him a son of sacrifice, a son of truth. What do you mean there's no power in that? You don't think that's powerful? Second Timothy 1.3, listen how this comes out more in the example of the Apostle Paul who was inspired to write this letter as well. I thank God whom I fear. I'm sorry, I fear. I think he did fear God. I thank God whom I serve from my forefathers with a pure conscience that without ceasing I have remembrance of thee in my prayers night and day. Part of the Christian soldier's prayer life will always contain a portion of concern for the brethren. It will always be remembering the brethren. Scripture teaches us that this indeed is a mark of a true Christian. 1 John 3.14, we know that we have passed from death into life because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brethren abideth in death. Paul, an example of a Christian soldier's prayer, included a great demonstration of a love for the brethren. I say this sometimes, guys, and some of you have had Christian experiences. Well, indeed, this is true. I know the church has a lot of warts on her. And I know that some of you may be in here today and you have scars, perhaps barely scabbed over from things that have happened to you in churches. But never forget that she is still being sanctified, she is still being purified, and as God would raise up men to be faithful in the pulpits, guess what, beloved? Your love for them will not grow cold. Your love for the brethren will begin to be warmer and more rejoiceful. And so even the times of difficulties, love the brethren, pray for the brethren, pray for Christ's church. Paul's repeated example in his own life of frequent, submitted, anticipatory and persistent prayers for the church serves for us as an exemplary standard for all soldiers who decide to pick up the cross and follow Jesus Christ. And now we move to verses 19 and 20. And we immediately know that Paul does not ask for prayer for his personal well-being, his physical comfort as he's setting in a Roman prison. But rather, what he does... It sets before us another example for all the church and is this, his unrelentless call of duty, his unrelentless call of duty in verse 19 and 20 as he describes himself as an ambassador for the gospel of truth. What an example for the Christian soldier 
Not only in his prayer life, but ever keep the call of duty in front of you. Never let the call of duty, the, the objective and the mission of the call, brothers and sisters, fall to the wayside and become disappointed. Paul in verses 19 and 20 focuses on duty, not disappointments. I say this because of namely what I see in the phrases that I may speak boldly. That I may speak boldly. I know, I know it's my duty. I say this because of what I see where he says, as I ought to speak. It's my call. It's my duty. There's four aspects to these verses I want us to pull out. First of all, where you see in verse 19, look with me, he says, for me. How do I want you guys to pray for me? That utterance may be given to me. Paul shows us here as he's focused on his call to duty that there's a self-awareness of his own limited ability. His own limited ability. So as a Christian soldier is focusing on the call in their life and not disappointment, one of the first things they realize is, or they realize rather, is their own limitabilities. He says, pray that utterance may be given unto me. The first observation we make regarding Paul's example for us is that he understands it is in his fulfilling the call of duty which Christ has given to him as a Christian is that he recognizes his own limits. He asked that prayers be offered on his behalf for utterance, meaning that words would be given to me. When I come before the court of the Roman authorities, pray that I will be given the words because as a Christian soldier, I realize that within myself, all think about that this is a man who was taught by Jesus himself. He went to the school of Christ, the seminary of Christ. He's still asking them, recognizing his own shortcomings, his own frailties as a man. Pray that God would give me the words to speak before the Roman authorities. Isn't this a reflection of another man of God in the Bible that you probably were thinking about who was uh, very cautious of his own abilities? He, 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 he was very questionable about what he could do without the help of God. Think about a Moses' example. As recorded in Exodus 4:10, Moses said to the Lord, when he was called to go do, uh, when he was called to duty, go do what God had ordained for his, him to do, go execute a role of ministry. Moses said, and he replied unto the Lord, "O my Lord, I am not eloquent, neither therefore hitherto, nor since thou hast spoken unto thy servant, but I am of slow speech and of a slow tongue." A Christian soldier is someone Paul's exemplifying for us. It's not overconfident. It is someone who knows and understands that when I'm called to engage in any aspect of Christian duty, especially presenting the gospel with someone who's unconverted or unbelieving, I must go to God in prayer and ask Him, Lord, give me the words to say. Secondly, we notice that in Paul's and our own call to duty to share the gospel with the lost and dying world, we need God-supplied courage to verbally speak, verbalize the truth in love. Look at your Bibles. That not only as he says that utterance may be given to me, that the actual words will be granted to me. I'm not relying on my own abilities. That I may open my mouth boldly. That we, he would have courage to verbalize the truth. This boldness that he uses here it need not to be understood, listen closely in our day and age, especially in the West, it doesn't need to be understood as being loud, 
boisterous, rude, or obnoxious against the enemies of Christ. That doesn't necessitate that. Sometimes we can bring our culture into the text and say, oh, yeah, I need to be bold. No, 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 no. It doesn't necessitate that. To think so would be contrary, to have that type of interpretation or attitude, be contrary to the very mind of Christ that's recorded in Proverbs 15.1, where it says there, which is our rule and our guide, a soft answer turns away wrath, but grievous words stir up anger. The sort of courage, this sort of courage, it was, wasn't it, beloved, modeled in great power by our Lord Jesus Christ when he stood before Pontius Pilate? As recorded in John 19.11, when Jesus said in response to Pontius Pilate, Thou couldst have no power at all against me, except it were given to thee from above. Therefore, he that delivered me unto thee hath the greater sin. Jesus here, he didn't need to uh, present himself with the truth in some kind of uh, shouting, demanding way. He knew all along who had the power. He knew all along what the plan was for him coming before Pontius Pilate. Gospel courage to respond with truth in love in the face of Christ's enemy takes much courage. And this is what Paul's asking for. But wait, Paul, here you are in your uh, second imprisonment in Rome. You've already had people try to attack you. You've already had people come at you. Paul, really? You need to be prayed to have boldness? Paul, you already got that. That's your gift, brother. You got the boldness thing down pat. No, oh, He's thinking forward when he's standing before those authorities, how he may clam up, how he may be tempted, possibly be tempted to just appease a little bit their concern of this man who's outside of societal norms within the Roman Empire, who says we can't give a pinch unto Caesar. We can't worship the the men, emperor men as their deity. No, that's blasphemy. We can only bow before the one true God. We are Christian. Oh, if he could and all and just compromise a little bit. Hey, perhaps he could prolong his usefulness in the call of duty. Right? If he would compromise just a little bit, he could still go on and be a faithful ambassador for the bonds of Christ. See, Paul, understanding himself, knew that he needed courage, just like you and I do. You and I do. Ask yourself today, what is perhaps some of the hardest places for you to verbally communicate the truth of the gospel? to people who need it the most. I don't know about you, but for me, we're going to have a wedding. I'm going to be around a lot of extended family. It's the people who know me the most. It's so hard to, to communicate for some reason. For me, to verbalize that, you know? Why? Well, they know the old Doug. They know the old me, you know, and they, and they think, oh, what is this? You know, you see. But think about the courage that we need, brothers and sisters, as gospel soldiers. Indeed, God promises to give us such courage. We go to Him in prayer. Isaiah tells us in Isaiah 40.29, He gives power to the faint and to them that have no might, He increases with strength. Notice in the Christian's prayer life and also his focus on a call of duty that thirdly in the text we see, Paul says, I want to make known the mystery of the gospel. So Paul's staying focused, isn't he, on the mission's objective. He doesn't get sidetracked by the disappointments. Thirdly, Paul's example demonstrates his intense focus upon the main mission which we all have as Christians, 
making known the gospel. Now, beloved, at this point, we must carefully be considerable about something. Due to the outside pressures and circumstances that we are currently facing as Christians in the West that are not entirely in our control, corrupt leaders, wicked manifestations of culture, etc., etc., we can mistakenly begin making social issues the gospel itself, or in other words, due to our overreactions based on legitimate concerns for larger society, which we all share, especially those of us who are trying to raise children in this world, we can begin, if we're not careful, to redefine the gospel in ways that distorts it from its biblical definition. And this, in fact, is happening in many circles of Christianity in the West in our own time. And I believe they're well-intentioned people. And it's interesting because it's coming from pockets that are polar opposite of one another in theological doctrinal distinctives. Now, there are certain things such as economic inequality is, called, is called the gospel. Racial inequality, however you may perceive that, is considered the gospel. And somehow or another, if you are not uh, on board with correcting whatever these perceived injustices are, then you have like only half of an understanding, Sister Heather, of the gospel. So you see, they're trying to take the gospel and amend it with these other social ills because perhaps, you know, they have legitimate concerns, what have you. And then they want to see, see, this is a God, the gospel. Now, immediately, some of you might say, oh, yeah, Pastor Doug, I've heard all about that. Uh, that's the critical race theory stuff, and I'm all read up on that. But brothers and sisters, let me remind you that there are some people on the polar, uh, opposite polar spectrum of this as well who would be within Reformed churches as well who have a certain end-time view that we're to go out here and we're to correct all these and bring them under the dominion of God's law. And so they begin to sound this way too about abortion, about other things, that this is a gospel issue. And while indeed it is a, a very serious infraction of the moral law of God, beloved, it's not a gospel issue. That's not the gospel. I can assure you that Paul was not desiring for the church to pray that he would have utterance, words to craftily articulate to the Roman judge who he was going to stand before of how biblical ethics would demand his immediate release, you see. Or how that the view of owning slaves in their Roman culture or in their economic structure was antithetical to the principles of the new covenant that Jesus came to establish. No, no, no. That's not the utterance that Paul was asking for. He kept in focus the mission's main goal, which was, dear friend, to declare the gospel. Christ has come to die for ill-deserving sinners that they may have life. Be emancipated from an enslaved conscience to what? Obey God freely. That was what he was wanting prayer for, sister. He wasn't wanting to stand there and give some kind of, you know, uh, big legislative articulation of policies that needed to be changed. Don't confuse the earthly kingdom, beloved, with the, the celestial kingdom, the spiritual kingdom, is all I'm articulating. Now, immediately, some of our uh, retractors of that interpretation of what Paul was asking uh, to be given utterances and words to do to declare the mystery of the gospel, they'll say, aha, see, there you go. Uh, you guys who understand the two-kingdom theology, 
you just want to check out. You just want to go in the parking lot and put your car in park and not care about the world going to hell in a handbasket. Oh, really? Really? I'm faithfully seeking to be salt and light in the world by laboring every Sunday here. You are too by your very presence. And many of you raising your children in the truth and the fear and admonition of the Lord. You are taking the kingdom of Christ right at the very throne or the very seat of authority of the kingdom of darkness. So don't ever accept that understanding. If someone tries to tell you that this understanding of keeping in perspective the gospel being this message that Christ saves sinners and these other things are just an organic outworking of people living for Christ that you somehow are doing less. Because many a times the people that are pointing those fingers, they may be out here in the world, Brother Cock, Brother Cox taking dominion over everything else and they can't even get the church in their own home in order. Look fourthly here at this call or this focus on his duty, not the disappointments. As in verse 20 he says, I am an ambassador in bonds that therein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. In this fourth and this final consideration, that Paul's understanding of his call to duty as a Christian soldier for us to glean and observe for, from. We recognize something about his spiritual maturity in relationship to how he viewed his life. How? Because he calls himself an ambassador. He saw his life as an ambassador for Christ. Now the word ambassador, let's just see what, it, it's a minister of the highest rank employed by, by a prince or that of a state. But who was, an, who was he an ambassador for? Well, I alluded to it. Paul says himself who he was representing. He saw his life as being totally given to the one who has called him into the service of an ambassador. He says in 2 Corinthians 5, 18-20, uh, this is the only other place that this word, this Greek word is translated as ambassador. Listen to what he said. He says, all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and hath given us, this is the church, the ministry of reconciliation, to wit that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then, now then, the only other time you're going to find this word, we are ambassadors of Christ. We are ambassadors of Christ as though God did beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ's stead, be reconciled to God. You hear Christ, or Paul in this moment of severe affliction and trial, setting forth in us an example, despite the disappointments that's going to come along. Dear sister, never forget, Paul calls us an ambassador. Our lives are constantly in his service representing the truth of what God has saved us from our sins and unto the truth of his gospel of what he can do for other people. Paul's life prior to his conversion, it was centered upon himself. Your life before your conversion was centered upon yourself. He was concerned in advancing in the courts of Jewish religious law. He said he was the Pharisee of Pharisees. However, it's clear in this passage as a reflection of a Christian soldier keeping his focus on the duty of his call that the center of his life is Christ in his church. What is the center, beloved, of our lives? Paul demonstrates for us today as Christian soldiers that which he said elsewhere in Romans 12.1, I beseech you, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, 
that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which he says is our reasonable service. What Christ has done for us and what we do for him, Paul saw as an ambassador, as a soldier. Fraser, it's my reasonable service. Look at what he has given me. Any afflictions that may have come upon me and by his grace and by his spirit, I hold on to the plow. It's my reasonable service. As we move on here to verses 21 through 24, there is, I propose, a very tender transition in the text. From a vigilant, focused prayer warrior, Apostle Paul, to now a caring and a concerned captain for the troops that he is serving alongside with. Do you see it in the text? To see this, to bring this to the surface, let us consider how in his own very harsh circumstances as a Roman prisoner, that now in verses 21 and 22, his name or his, he is only namely concerned not for his own welfare, but for the welfare of the brethren, his brothers and sisters who are continuing on in the faith. Let's consider verses 21 through 24, the example of the Paul, uh, Paul for a Christian soldier, soldier is that a soldier's concern is for others and not themselves. He says in verse 21, But that ye also may know my affairs and how I do, Tychicus, a beloved brother and a faithful minister in the Lord, shall make none own unto you, whom I've sent unto you for the same purpose, letting them know their affairs, letting them know. Think about what he's letting them know. He, Tychicus is bringing this report, not that, hey, Paul's right on the verge, man. Paul, Paul maybe, I think, I don't know, he, 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 he needs to be strengthened. I mean, he, he's right on the verge of maybe denouncing or, or compromising. No, no, no. Tychicus, you go and you encourage them with the truth of the mystery of the gospel, chapters 1 through 3, and then show them, Tychicus, how they are to live this out in their life, chapters 4 through 6. And that would have not, would it, brother, bring great encouragement to those, those of us. Today after church, many of you are going to participate in the video recording. And you're going to be sending video recordings to these brothers and sisters who have suffered some persecution in Canada. But think about how it would encourage you if they sent you a video of them in the midst of persecution reminding you to stay true and to not compromise. And this is exactly what this letter was doing for the church of Ephesus. Some scholars believe that this letter wasn't only intended for Ephesus, but it arrived first at Ephesus by the hand of Tychicus, and then it was used and it was intended for everyone else. And if you think about it, it is an epistle. It is a letter that could have been broadly used and applied to any church. Um, But you can imagine from the Apostle Paul, you see in the example here of him wanting Tychicus to bring this report to encourage them in the mystery of the gospel, how to live it out in their lives, and the power and the strength of, the, uh, of, God's, of Christ's spirit, not their own, how that would have encouraged them. Paul's more concerned about their welfare than he is even his own. Well, who is Tychicus? I don't know about you, but that's an awesome name. If you ever had a son, anybody in here, uh, young people, name him Tychicus. That's cool. He was a convert under Paul's ministry from Asia Minor. This is modern-day Turkey. And he's been with Paul during previous imprisonments in Rome. 
We also know from Acts 20, verses 4 through 6, that Tychicus accompanied Paul in taking the love offering from the various churches to the church in Jerusalem in their time of need. And according to 2 Timothy 4.12 and Titus 3.12, Tychicus was trusted to handle several missions or, or be in charge of doing some important matters of the gospel. And this shows us a certain reflection of an example, not necessarily from Paul, but from Tychicus, that even though you may not have 10,000 clicks, your sermons on the internet, and even though you, know, you may not be invited to come and speak at all the main conferences, uh, brothers, men in the church, be a Tychicus. Be that faithful, consistent man of God who can be entrusted with tasks that need to be accomplished within the local church contest, context. And in the times of trials, in the times of afflictions, you're found to be faithful. You're found to stand in, 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 in the gap. Tychicus has been with Paul at other times of imprisonment. He's been with Paul, no doubt, when Paul was beaten and he was you know, almost left for dead. We have in the current modern Christian culture this celebrity type of mentality. And yes, indeed, there's been people that are very gifted brought up in the church. And we're thankful that God works that out in, the, in, in certain men. Oh, but dear brothers, don't lose sight. I always at least want to encourage the men in this church. Getting up and going to work, Brother Cox, I say this, Brother, you know, getting up, earning honesty, living, leading your family, uh, you know, in family worship. Uh, being a consistent member of a local church, oh, that's the Tychicus. That's the Tychicus that we need. We don't need more theological books written, brethren. We don't need more men sitting in ivory towers, brothers. We need faithful Tychicus in the house of God. That's how the house of God is going to move forward in advance with power and strength. God raise up amongst ourselves some Tychicus. Well, notice Paul's purpose of sending Tychicus to show how they were holding up how he was holding up and how Tychicus by extension was holding up to this call of the dude of duty and to bring comfort under their hearts. A mark of a mature Christian is that even while themselves are under much distress and trial, they are more concerned about the welfare of the brethren. Now guys, we have to keep this in check sometimes because if we're not careful, we lose focus of the plan and purpose of our afflictions and even the remaining corruptions of our flesh that we're sanctifying through. And we can kind of become self-centered in that. And we can fall into that ditch of losing focus that we ought to have a great concern to encourage others, not always wanting to suck the life out of others for ourselves. You see what I'm saying? That is not to say, and that is no way to imply that we don't be honest and real with one another about our struggles, about the battles we're facing, about the things that we're struggling through, okay? But there is a place to allow the means of grace, God's words, God's prayer, to work out in your life between you and God. You see what I'm trying to say? There is a, an aspect and a dimension of you walking with the Lord through the means of grace that He's given you by yourself. You do that by yourself. And so, Brother Cox, even though I'm having a rough week and I come into the presence, you know what a mark of a true Christian is saying? You know, you ask me how my week's been. You know what? I've had a really bad week, but brother, by God's grace, I'm here today. Tell me, how are you doing? You see? That's the mark of someone who's a soldier holding up under the pressure. 
holding up under all of the disappointments that's coming. They still see, sister, they still see, young brother, they're called to duty to encourage others horizontally from themselves. And as they do it, I will give you this piece of advice. As you do that, you will become more strengthened yourself. As you invest yourself more in others and not your own self, you will become stronger and you will become more of a blessing to other people. And this is what Paul's given an example here. This closing example of Paul, it reveals to us what a fatherly heart he had for his fellow Christians. Paul, the early Christians, experienced unfathomable and intense persecution under the hand of the then Roman Emperor Nero. We can't even imagine the things that they endured. You guys know we've been through church history classes where they took the early Christians and took animal skins and wrapped around them and threw them out to the lions. How they would put them up as a spectacle on on poles. Um, You know, we're talking AD 65, uh, AD 75 here. This is being written, we believe, AD 62 to AD 65, somewhere in there. Paul knows what lays ahead of him. And his main concern, Levi, is not for himself. It's for the other brothers and sisters who, even if he's martyred, will continue on. He wants to encourage them. How does he do this? Well, that brings our attention to the closing verses of 23 and 24. How does Paul do this? Well, he concludes here with reminding them of the main themes that you will see has been inspired to consistently bring before their attention. Look with me at verses 23 and 24. He mentions peace to the brethren, love with faith, grace in verse 24, and he emphasizes that these are from the God the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. And so at the very, very end of this epistle, at the very, very end of all the spiritual warfare, at the very end of laying out these examples of a, of a Christian soldier's prayer life, his focus and call to duty, his concern for others, Paul encourages them with the peace that they have through the gospel. And it's not a peace as we said earlier in our first, uh, I think it was just our, our, our call to worship in reading Isaiah 27. It, it's not a peace of just a hostility outwardly. It's a total peace, a wholesome peace. He's praying that they will, as they go out in the battle, not only, yes, have peace from the enemies of Christ who will physically bring harm to them, but peace to them inward that they know that they've been delivered from this present evil world, that the evil of the afflictions, it won't affect them. They won't get bogged down to disappointments. Peace be to the brethren and love with faith. Love with faith. There's a lot of talk of love today, but love separated from a biblical faith is really just a human um, invention. It's not a love that's sacrificial. It's not a love that's long-suffering. Uh, long it's not a love that's willing to bear wrong against oneself. Love with faith and the promises of what God's laid forth true in His Word. Grace be with all them in His closing statement in verse 24. And we'll end with this thought. Grace be with all them that love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. And now this brings to mind something that seems to be just behind the scenes this morning and everything that's been said. 
this focus, this focus of a sincere relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Not an outward, religious, going through the motions relationship. Come to know the Lord sincerely. Come to see yourself before the holiness of God this morning sincerely. Do you truly see that in the gospel, it lifts up what you have done, which has placed Jesus upon the cross? And has it broken your heart? Has it made you convicted? Has it made you grieve within that you slew the holy, precious Lamb of God? But even though you were once His enemy, it lifts up, all, it lifts up also before your eyes that He has forgiven you. That He wants to, as Paul said in one of the verses we just read earlier from 2 Corinthians, give you the ministry of reconciliation. Give you the ministry of how you were reconciled and made one with God through the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus. An enemy made a son or daughter. Jesus is here today to give you reconciliation with God. Let's close with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we approach your throne of grace in the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And Lord, as I mentioned at the opening of the message today, I don't believe that Paul consciously thought to himself how he could articulate a good example to these Christians who he was going to conclude his letter addressing. But Lord, simply by someone who sincerely, Lord, saw what Jesus had done for him, what Jesus saved him from and saved him for, Lord, he exuberated in his life someone who demonstrated a complete dependency upon the continued grace, sustaining grace, to even give him, as he prayed for today, the very words to say to the unbelieving world. And oh God, how we could easily identify with that. We ask, Lord, that you would likewise help us, weak and feeble at times, to, Lord, talk to our family members, to talk to our co-workers, to have the courage, Lord, and give us the, the words, Lord, since you know all men's heart that will uh, do exact um, searching uh, justice in the heart of the person we're talking to, Lord, for you know who they are. We also pray, Lord, that you would help us here on this side of glory. Lord, we will experience many di- disappointments and difficulties, but, oh, Father, I pray that you will keep that call of duty, that call, dear Lord, of sharing the, the message of reconciliation with others ever before us. Never let us, Lord, be tempted because of modern circumstances to confuse the clarity of the gospel. Father, lastly, I pray that you would grant us, as we see so exemplified in the life of Paul, a great love for one another, a great love for the brethren. Oh Lord, many of us, myself being the chief, are covered with still ugly remnants, Lord, of the flesh and sin. And Lord, I know I perhaps offend. I know I perhaps, Lord, come across maybe the wrong way to other brothers and sisters. And I pray that you would give us all, oh Lord, a greater love for one another, seeking to encourage one another. We live, oh Lord, in very dark times. Create, I pray, Lord, this bond of unity amongst your believers that you would, Lord, bless us with the heart of Paul, the heart of Christ, the very love of Christ for his church. Grant this to us, Lord. Let us be willing to give time. 
where it is needed to be given. Let us, O oh Lord, let us to give a strong shoulder for others to lean upon when needed. Bless us and help us, Father, as we continue to move forward as Christian soldiers in the day and age in which we live, which you have decreed and providentially brought us into. And may we give you the honor and the glory, for we know you will do and answer our prayers. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen.